I think what um, has driven me to this series of thoughts and sharing with you has been uh, probably my conviction of always trying to go to a primary source. And, um, and I've, I've found in, in other areas that, you know, <clears throat> if you don't go to, the, to a primary source or the original source of something, then you're left just kind of herky-jerky, believing whatever somebody else thinks or says or opinions. And I, I, you know, I'm aware that there are so many things in religion that we are confronted with today uh, that the only way that, to me, you can actually get some solid, hardcore answers is to go to primary source. And the primary source in these things that I'll, I'll be talking about is Jesus Christ. What did he actually say about, as we studied last week, being born again? It's not a catchphrase. It's something very real, but he explains it. Today, I want to look at worship. And there's a, there's a reason that I think it's uh, important to understand exactly what true worship is in comparison to what's out there. And it has to do with the idea and concept of religion and, 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 and worship. You can be very religious and not even worship God. We, we know that. But because we live in a a society and a country that we have a multitude of churches, all kinds of churches, all kinds of organizations. It yields itself to all kinds of opinions and practices and variations and distinctives. And so instead of just one primary source, we have a, a multitude of things that we're constantly being confronted with as to how we would choose between which one. The question I have, or the question that I, that I have wrestled with uh, always, and, and particularly in this, is it possible to have so many different things, but yet they're the same? In other words, can you have all kinds of religions, organizations, uh, can you have all these things and, and are they actually the same? And there's a real quick way that I, I, I start working that little problem out of my head and it's this. The saying okra is an apple, make it an apple. If you say something long enough, people tend to believe what well, must be true. But you can say all day long that, that that little okra pot is an apple, but it doesn't make it an apple. What some people say is worship is not worship. And the only reason I say that is because I find that Jesus Christ, when in his discussion with the woman at the well, was very, very direct and very succinct about Worship about some other things which we'll look at, but it comes down to, uh, f for me, I think it's very important: is is do we have the license as as humanity 
or even as people in religion. Let's say, we're, do we as Christians have the right to discriminate or to be rather indiscriminate in our worship? Do we have the, do we have the right and the license to do it our way? Or are we confronted with we should be doing it God's way? And, and that, that's a very serious question that I, I can't get to unless I go back to primary source. If it is the case that worship, worshiping God is indiscriminate, by preference, totally, you know, subjective to one's own deal, um, then true worship doesn't exist if you have variations because all kinds of things cannot be one thing. And so in this, I think this occasion, at least it has always helped me sort through some things, but on this particular occasion that we're going to look at, I think it answers the question, and I think it reveals you know, what we think is true compared to what is actually true. And then I have another question underneath this that I'll kind of, I'll kind of pinball to it. What works? In other words, we have so much worship and so many organizations going on. Honestly, our country ought to not be having the kind of problems that we are having if we are truly a Christian organization or a Christian nation or we have churches on every corner. I'd love to see churches on every corner. I'm not competitive in that nor territorial. I, I, I think the world needs to hear about Jesus Christ. But is it, the, is, it the, is it the one worship that is actually being practiced? The scriptures tell us, and I'll be reading um, from John 4, uh, but there, the text that I want to read first is, is, where, I'm, is it's where I'm heading, uh, but I, I, it'll take a little bit to get, eh, it won't take that long. Uh, we'll get there. Um, here's what Jesus said to the woman when she said, and we're gonna, we'll, we'll cover some previous ground, but she said, you know, our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on the mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. And that's where I'm going, all right? So let's look at what transpired before, before all that. The scriptures tell us that the, that, the, that, the, that the Lord, Jesus was going to travel, and he knew that there were some of the Pharisees and religious leaders that did not like him whatsoever. And so he came, he was, he's, the scriptures say he needed to go through Samaria. He was traveling. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had, uh, gave to his son Joseph. And there's a well there, which to this day is still there, Jacob's well. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Initially, when you read that, you, it, it, it's a curious response to, may I have a drink? Um, we would probably feel the same way if we were to ask someone, you know, could I, could I have a napkin? Well, why are you asking me that? I didn't think you liked me, et cetera, et cetera. It's a curious response. But it does reveal, I think, her world. Now, remember I said, I'm going to come, I'm going to pinball um, to this question, does it work? She was religious. She had some knowledge. Uh, she knew about worship, and she said, we worship, you know, in the mountain. You worship in Jerusalem. But yet, we're going to discover that her world, even, even these this response to Jesus uh, reveals that she lived in a world of divisions. She lived in a world of gender bias. Notice that. Why are you asking me a Samaritan and a woman? All right. So, you know, she was aware of what that was. Discrimination, whatever we want to call it. Does her religion and worship, was it helping her? Well, at this point, I'm going to say, no, it was not helping her, all right? Because she still, worship to God is going to remove a lot of all of that. In other words, worship of God brings unity to our spirit and to our soul and to our heart. But yes, she didn't have that. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. It's interesting. Jesus always is able to get to the point. If you only knew the gift of God, she did not. If you only knew who it was that was talking to you, she did not. If you would have known that, you would have asked him, she didn't, and he would have given you living water, but she didn't have it. Why? Well, I think because of, of her ignorance of God, all right? She, didn't, she knew a, a little, but not a lot. She knew some, but not everything. If you knew the gift of God, which Jesus was saying you don't, that means that she had no idea of God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's love. And I think I'm all right in saying that today there is so much stuff called worship that is not talking about nor explaining nor seeking to understand God's gift, God's love, God's forgiveness, and God's ability to change a life. A lot of worship is just as it is. Come as you are. You don't have to change. That's not right. That's not the worship we're going to see that Jesus talks about here. And as such, it defined her life. Her, her worship, how she worshiped, ha has defined, as we'll see, and determined her life. And it also explains her desire for, for the moment, a, a moment fixed. The woman said to him, Sir, well, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. 
We live in a day and time when we're looking for the calm water or the moment that can take care of our problem. And, and as a result of that, we now are looking at God as some sort of credit card or debit card that we can pull out and use whenever it is convenient or needful for us, but yet we can also put it back in our pocket when we don't want it. That is not worship, uh, as we'll see. And so I think this woman, when she was asking that, give me this water that I may not thirst and have to come here to draw. She wanted calmness, but she was kind of looking for it in the wrong way, maybe for the wrong reason. I don't really know. But I do know that it seems to be apparent that she had a want, but she was not dealing with the need. And there's a big difference between what we want and what we need. And I think that if we come to God or we come to worship, and it's always what we want, it's going to overpower or obscure what do we actually need? Because that's exactly what happened in this conversation. She wanted something that would take care of the moment, would kind of smooth calm waters, but yet Jesus wanted to go deeper. And the reason is, calm waters, there are never calm waters in stormy seas, is there? You can't have one and the other at the same time, right? Well, it's no different in your soul. It's no different in your spirit. You can never have a calm water of your spirit when you are living a troubled life. You just can't. And her idea and her practice and her worship, whatever it was, had not helped her in her life. She knew where to go. She knew how it was done. She uh, was obviously knowledgeable about it to a certain extent, but the question is, does it work? So far, I'm not seeing where it worked for her. It was not working. Because then we find Jesus says this, and, 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 I, and I've, I've wrestled with this so for really quite a few years. When she said, uh, when she said, Give me that water so I don't have to come here. Initially, it seems to be that she just wanted that calmness that I just talked about. But there is another alternative, another possibility. We just sang about it. She was asking truly for that kind of water. She knew she needed something, let's say. Realized she needed something, but she didn't know how to get it. And that's when Jesus now begins to deal with what we're going to find is true worship. She, he, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back here. And the woman said, well, I have no husband. <laughs> That's all she wanted to say. Well, I can understand, as we'll see. Jesus said to her, well, you've well said you have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with right now is not your husband. You have truly spoke the truth. It's interesting. She obviously, and I, and I think we can, we can speculate, we can draw from our own uh, experience. At the very least, she had a restless spirit in her. At the very least, she was unsatisfied. Most likely, 
She was empty, always trying to find something to fill that void. So if it were the case that she asked, give me that water that's eternal, the first thing that she has to do is, is face the truth. That's the first thing. And that's exactly what Jesus confronted her with. We find that the truth is difficult because right after he said this to her, you spoke the truth about you, you don't have a husband, but there's a lot more you're not telling me. She does what we all do. Truth is difficult, very difficult. Some of the great writers of both uh, in literature, philosophy, have pointed this out. Truth is difficult. It's easier to whip others with truth, but it is so hard when you start putting it on yourself. And she does what we're all very good at. She shifted the conversation because the very next thing she said is, well, you know, our fathers, they worship on this mountain and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Where in the world did that come from? I mean, he's talking about her restless, empty life. And all of a sudden she says, oh, well, you know, we're going to talk about worship. But it doesn't work. Because the fact of it is, true worship changes one's life. It changes how we live, how we think, what we do. Jesus then said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We could also say you worship who you don't know. And he says, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. And he was speaking truthfully there because it was through the Jewish faith that we even began to hear about Messiah or the Christ or the one who would come and save us from our sins. But the point here is this. Here's one thing about true worship we begin to see. True worship, true worship as Jesus is talking about, it's not about location. It's not about race. It's not about gender. It's not about preference, nor is it about convenience at all. In fact, let me just take one step further and say, your spirit is not determined or defined by any of those things. Race, gender, nationality. Your spirit is not defined by that. And then one step further is, neither is truth. Truth is never defined. Let me go through it again. Location, race, gender, preference, convenience, that does not determine truth. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. What he says is this. The Father is seeking such to worship him in spirit. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and Truth, not convenience, not gender, not bias, truth. The woman said to him, again, trying to shift it a little bit, I think, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I can easily envision Jesus looking at her and 
and saying, I just told you everything. I am the one that you're looking for. I am he. I spoke the truth to you. True worship, worship of God, true worship, always focuses on Jesus Christ. And it always is under the guardianship of spiritual and that which is true, no matter, no matter what is said. True worship begins with one's heart and the truth. And what that means is, is that when we come to God with open heart, our hearts open, we come to God knowing that he will know who we are, but yet he will then show us who he is. That's true worship. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the man, come see a man who has told me all things that I ever did. You know what? You know what struck her? It was not the conversation. It was not how he talked. It was not how he looked. It was not his presentation. You know what struck her? He was able to tell me everything I have ever done. And yet in that, she was not put off. She was not uh, defensive. She was relieved because she's finally found someone, heard someone, got clarity on what truly God is all about. He doesn't want to hurt us. God wants to help us. Why? Just like Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Why? They needed help. It becomes apparent. She went back, come see, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman. Then the Samaritans had come to him and they urged him to stay. Many more believed because of his own word. And they, and they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, but we ourselves have heard him and know indeed that this is Christ, the Savior of the world. Now they're going to be able to truly worship God because they have discovered God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. For the woman, before she met Jesus Christ, her notion of worship seems to be a failure in transforming her life. She knew where it was. She knew what time the services were. She knew who was going to be there. She knew all that, but it did not transform her life. For the woman, however, she was stunned when her spirit was exposed and her heart was exposed in light of the truth. That's true worship. You know, sometimes, and you know, I, under, I understand, I understand. I mean, you'd probably like me to be a, comedian I don't know I my jokes are really quite by accident and arbitrary in fact when you laugh I realize maybe I said a joke or something I'm not an entertainer worshiping God is not entertainment
is being confronted with who we are compared to who God is. And when we are confronted in our spirit by the truth, you can't help it. You say like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm unclean, cleanse me, forgive me, help me, take my hand, precious Lord. That's worship, and that's what it's always meant to be, yet even though now we're, we have okra being called apples. Her idea of worship obviously had had no impact or influence or effect in her life. In fact, she was so stunned that all things were under the eyes of, of the Lord that day. But it brought her, it brought her to that point that allows me to kind of cinch this up. This is some of the most recent surveys, all right? In fact, uh, I think a year ago. Reasons people go to church. Number one reason they go to church is to be close to God. That's the number one reason. The next reason is they want their children's to, uh, children to have morals. Third reason is they want to be a better person. Then they want comfort in time of need. They want teaching. They want a community. Some even say they go to church to please a spouse. Some say they go to church, and it's down the list, just to meet people or to keep traditions. But what if that doesn't work? What if the way we do things doesn't accomplish that? Are we close to God as a nation or as a people? Are you? Uh, are, your are we close to God? Are we understanding this? Perhaps we're just going about it like the woman did in, in just a wrong way. Just because there's a multitude of churches and various choices that we can make does not mean that they're all the same as true worship. Each of us have to come to that point where we give our heart, our spirit, and our mind to God and then brace ourselves for the truth. Here's what the scriptures say about worship, about the spirit, your spirit, your heart, and the truth. Because I think that's the primary source. I think any kind of religious activity or any kind of religious organization or any, anything that does not pursue the spiritual need that we all have and we pursue it in truth and, and you know, prepare ourselves to see the truth, I think that it's just nothing more than okra being called an apple. That's my opinion. Here's what the scriptures say. Draw near, first of all, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, your strength, and all of your mind. The scriptures say, let us draw near with a true heart. So our heart, our spirit, our mind, that's the first thing on the table. But when we do, we come to God with that, then we're going to be confronted with the truth. First of all, we'll be confronted with Jesus Christ, 
He is the truth. The scriptures say the word became flesh, dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory, beauty. He was full of grace and truth. So we're going to be confronted by that. We'll also be confronted by what the scriptures say, that if we continually claim we don't have sin or that we're not bad, the scriptures say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive only ourselves. The woman left out a pretty substantial part of her life. Maybe she just believed, you know, I'm, I'm not with her. But Jesus Christ caught it, confronted it, and changed it. Things changed when that happened. Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we talk about true worship or worship, go to primary source. Go to Jesus Christ because that is where we come to an understanding of what real worship actually is. That's why we can say in closing that we can thank God. We can all say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory of understanding true worship through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the time and the effort that you spend with us. We call that grace, and we know that our Lord is full of grace. I'm thankful, Lord, that as we sang the hymn, Ancient Words, that you have preserved this particular conversation, that we all, in each our own ways, can learn and understand some things. May we each in our lives come to you with our spirit and our heart open, and may we be prepared And Lord, may we welcome truth that comes from you. Because we know that once we stand in the truth, in front of the truth, that that has the ability to change our lives and affect our lives in how we live and what we say and what we do. And for that, we give you thanks in our Lord's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning. I appreciate your attention this morning. As we stand, we're going to sing a hymn. And if you'd like to come and pray, I I encourage you to come and pray. I encourage you to come and pray. You can pray where you stand. The point is I encourage you to pray. And seek the Lord from your heart. Seek Him with your mind, your soul. And then be prepared that... You'll carry that burden when the truth about you and you're confronted with God, it'll be there. But that's all right. Because only in the truth can he change. Only in the truth. What Jesus says to us is the truth. So as we sing, what? 461. 461. Would you like to come this morning as we all sing this song? One verse unless someone would like to come this morning. A wonderful Savior is Jesus.